Hey guys, welcome to Fountain City's uh, weekend kind of setup right now. We're really excited about what God is doing in the midst of hardship and confusion and chaos. Uh, I really believe that the Lord is doing something right now that we will see the fruit of in the next 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 years. I actually think it could restructure much of the way that society, our culture, and our faith practices, our financial systems, our medical systems, our educational systems, I think it has the potential to restructure those things and, and not just in a negative way. I feel like the Lord is at work in the midst of this. And so we're excited that you're here. Uh, I want to invite you every single evening at 7 p.m. for our church, for any church that wants to join in, and we'll share all the resources and we'll pump as many leaders out as possible and their voices. We want to invite you to jump on, be a part of just prayer gatherings at 7 p.m. Uh, over Zoom calls every single night. We'll update that schedule as we go and kind of get it out on social media channels and all that. Uh, but I'm hungry to see a new rhythm, an urgency created in our community where we're joining together in prayer. Uh, and so take an opportunity, join with us. Uh, you can check that out on our Instagram or Facebook pages, Fountain City Church. You can also get online where we'll continue to update information. That's fountaincity.org. Um, okay, I want to just talk to you for a couple of minutes today about what in the world is going on and how God is going to use these times that for many might be filled with uh, perilous feelings or fear or anxiety. And in the midst of that, what I feel like God is doing in the inside of this is that he is restructuring the way that movements and organizations work. Uh, and for us as uh, not just for pastors, not just for CEOs or business leaders, but for you as a member of the body of Christ, or as a person who's asking what the body of Christ is all about, it's important to understand how God uses perilous times like this throughout history uh, to often bring about his redemptive purpose. Uh, now look, just a kind of theological perspective, I don't believe that God is throwing COVID out on folks. Uh, there are some perspectives of that that feel like everything in the world that happens is God's hand. Uh, I don't believe that. Like God sends Jesus to the world as a rescue mission. And so obviously there are things that God's not doing and he sends his son and his presence in to destroy the works of the enemy. And so we believe that COVID-19 is the work of the enemy. And in the midst of that, that God can still accomplish his redemptive purpose. And he's going to use you to do it, which is pretty crazy. Uh, so I want to talk to you for a few minutes about how this, uh, how this crisis flattens power structures and decentralizes the church for renewal and awakening. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of a big lofty thought. Um, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, we're going to read there, and we're going to talk about what happens in these moments of affliction and persecution. Um, and so I'm going to read this, this passage. In fact, I've got a couple passages that I'd like to read to you. So grab your Bible, turn to Acts 8, 1 through 8. Um, now, what's happened just before this is that uh, revival has broken out. The Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. And the church started to form around some basic structure of the apostles. And then they put into place um, overseers and deacons, people who would serve the body and feed the, the poor and take care of those who were widowed or orphaned. Uh, and we see this here that Stephen is one of these leaders. He's a, a deacon. He's a guy who's got a lot of influence. And he is murdered uh, because he gives testimony to the work of Jesus. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, after we see that Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul, after he's a part of Stephen's murder where they stone him to death, we see that this persecution breaks out. And Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, is actually at the forefront of this persecution. He's initiating it. 
But in chapter 8, verse 1, we see it says, uh, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Listen to that language. Everybody except the apostles were scattered everywhere. Godly men buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. And so God's power starts to move and people start to listen. And so take note of that, because I really believe that is something that can begin to happen right now. Verse seven, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. And so we see this kind of revival breaking out now. It's not at the center, but it's on the edges. It's in the margins where people weren't expecting things to happen. If you jump over to 26, chapter eight, verse 26, we see another story with Philip, who is just a baller right now. Like God's just using him in incredible ways in places that you you wouldn't think he's being used. Like in that passage before, Philip is working with Samaritans, which this is just a continuation of the ministry of Jesus to go to people who the world says we shouldn't go to them. And now because of affliction and persecution, Philip's touching them. We see it again in verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So this is a guy of influence. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now listen, culturally, like this is taboo. This guy is an Ethiopian, so he's Gentile, which means the Jews are not supposed to associate with them. You go a step further, this guy is a eunuch. So his body has actually been cut. Uh, And in the Old Testament, they wouldn't allow people who Um, had been mangled, who had been marred physically to come into the presence of God. So we see right here that God is intentionally sending his people to those that the world has pushed out of God's presence in the past. And he is declaring through this movement right now that he's doing a brand new work. So verse 30 says, then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? I'm sorry, I just read all of this. Um, Verse 32 Um, the eunuch was reading the passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me about, uh, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord suddenly just snatches Philip away. He causes him to disappear. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared 
was transported, come on, at Azotus, and he traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now, this is really an intense kind of introduction to what happens during these moments where God is decentralizing what we hold to be the movement of the gospel into the margins and into the uh, the sidelines. And what I want to encourage you to believe right now is that in this moment of peril and crisis that God is actually taking something that we have held as a, a central tenet, like we all come together and we gather on Sundays and we do for our church community, we do midweek communities. But you guys who have been a part of our church, you have heard me say over and again, if this disappears tomorrow, that the church is vibrant because God has put his spirit into you and I as sons and daughters of God. And he's causing us to walk out a purpose and a responsibility in the earth to care for creation and to love and show compassion to people and to declare Jesus with all of the strength that we have. We see this happening in Acts. We see this bombshell go off of persecution against the church And rather than the church going silent and rather than the church feeling crippled or handicapped or may I dare to say even just pivoting our service times to being online, that's not the goal of what's happening right now. The goal of what is happening is that God takes these moments uh, as an invitation to decentralize faith practice and to mobilize an army of people who are so in love with God and who love the world and people so much that they're willing to go everywhere declaring the good news to everyone, both in word and in deed. And we see that in the life of Philip. He's going to people and to places he would not normally go because God is decentralizing what's happening right now. And I really believe it's important for us to grab a hold of this idea that God works in times of affliction and persecution to mobilize Philip into spheres of society where he hasn't been before. And for many of you, you're in your homes right now. And uh, as we practice social distancing and in weeks and months to come, as we're kind of invited back into social spheres, I believe that God is going to use these times of affliction and even persecution to mobilize you into spheres of society you've never reached into before. Uh, There's a, a, a digital realm. For many of you, your neighborhood is a mystery to you still like the physical people next door to you. Because we spend the majority of our time in businesses uh, kind of uh, being shuffled together with groups of people to accomplish an organizational purpose. Now God has, he's allowed us an opportunity to see that our lives work differently. That the people who live 20 yards across the street and two miles down the road are closer in proximity and you should have more influence and impact in their lives than just the people on the other side of the world because of an organizational purpose. And so I want you to see that this moment of affliction is actually decentralizing how we do life and is forcing us into a new perspective where we live purposefully and intentionally with the world around us. But it doesn't stop with him. Uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 19 is one of my favorite passages to see how the Lord uses hard times. Now, the story of the persecution breaking out in chapter 8, verse 1, it kind of jumps over and it picks up in chapter 11, verse 19. Um, And all of the book of Acts is really about what the church does under persecution. In fact, I would challenge you to find some passages of scripture that are just about the church or Christ followers or people who are in love with God um, living in peaceful times. The vast majority of this book is about people who have an apocalyptic understanding of their life, that they feel like they're living in an end time, and they feel like they're responding to the voice of God as strangers in the earth. And so this book is is 99% 
persecution and affliction and oppression and how to stand up under the weight of that in the midst of suffering. So uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution from chapter 8 in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyrus and Antioch, telling the message, listen to this, only to Jews. So, so far, the church is still only really practicing sharing this gospel with people that they believe are insiders. Okay, verse 20. Some of them, however, renegades, some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch. These are not insiders. These are outsiders. These are Gentiles. They went to Antioch and they began to speak to Greeks also. How dare they, right? Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. So the insiders are now hearing that outsiders are coming in because the gospel is spreading further. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas, listen to this, Feel the catalytic moment. These people go a little further than the Jews had before. They go to outsiders. Then Barnabas is sent from the insiders to go to the outsiders. And now Barnabas, because of all of this, does something interesting. He goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, between 8 and 11 is where Saul has this dramatic encounter with the Holy Spirit, uh, with the person of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he's blinded for days. Um, but God sends a man to his aid to come and to baptize him, to pray over him so that he receives his sight and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is now, uh, he is following Jesus. He has submitted and surrendered his life to Jesus and he's preaching the gospel, but he's put himself away in Tarsus for a season because of the violence that was breaking out with him spreading the gospel. Uh, The news is wherever Paul goes, Evidently, violence goes, you know, whether he's following Jesus or not, like people are killing other people. This is a dangerous guy. Um, And so he he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he finds him, he brings him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and they taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first there. Like the moniker that you and I carry as the body in the church, it starts with outsiders, not insiders. It starts with people who don't feel like they belong don't feel like they have what it takes. Those are the ones God starts with. And during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and and through the spirit, he predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for other brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. What do we see here? This incredible story shows me that what we view as purely negative and perilous and as hardship and oppressive often are the very moments that God redemptively uses to bring about his kingdom purpose. God doesn't cause these things, but God in some kind of like judo move is able to transfer the energy that the enemy means for evil and he uses it for good. And here in this moment, we see just that. We see that God uses a group of people who are a little rogue and a little renegade who go further than the culture tells them is possible to reach and spread the good news to people who have not been reached yet. They go to Antioch. And the beautiful part to me is that this catalytic event of persecution, which we hold as purely negative, 
has caused people to take the gospel to Antioch, which then catalyzes Barnabas, who's an insider, coming to a group of outsiders and bringing in Saul. We actually see that this apostolic movement in the New Testament is birthed almost purely out of hardship and affliction. God sending his his voice and his message into the earth comes almost purely out of people in despair. God raising up prophets. Not only does he go to get Saul who becomes Paul, not only do they take on a missionary journey through the church at Antioch, but he starts to send these prophets and teachers who begin to speak words that form the early church's idea of how the world works and how we need to respond in times like these. Think about this. We're standing in a moment not where we shrink back. We're standing in what could be one of the greatest moments of the movement of the Holy Spirit, of renewal and awakening. And my prayer is that we don't just try to hold on to status quo, but that we seize what it is that God's doing, that we open our ears to apostolic and prophetic voices And not just those who wear the title apostle and prophet, um, but people who are really walking under the unction and the utterance and the power of the Holy Spirit. There are people who are declaring things we need to be listening to. And God is going to mobilize a movement right now that we will not be able to measure by strictly what we see. We have to use the eyes of the Spirit and of faith. And so this persecution that starts with Stephen's murder and acts, it leads to this mass mobilization of the church. And it leads to wild evangelization of surrounding areas. I love that uh, God uses no-name disciples here. There's nobody's name out of that group that goes to Antioch who's listed. Uh, and most of the time in Acts, we kind of build our theologies around purely people um, whose, whose writings we hear. And, and that's sound. I mean, this is, this is doctrine. This is the canon. But we have to understand that God uses people whose names we'll never know, whose faces we cannot see, And he uses them to change culture and society and to advance the kingdom. And right now, man, maybe you feel like you're a nameless, faceless entity in the kingdom. God wants to use you now. This is not about about a weekend gathering. This is not about all the churches that you see pumping out sermons on the weekend. Those are going to be blips on the radar of what God does. That's not what this is about at all. It's not even about what we're doing here. This is about this message that God wants to get to you, that in the midst of crisis, that he is giving you a mission and a purpose, and it has not deviated from what he declared from the very beginning, but he's calling you to walk in power now, to take responsibility now. Do not spoon feed off of sermons going out over digital online platforms and fail to see that this is a moment where God is filling you with the spirit and power to do what he's called you to do. There are people and places that will be reached right now in the midst of COVID-19 precisely because affliction and persecution flatten power structures and they decentralize how we do church, right? Everything's changing right now. CEOs and organizational leaders and faith leaders are clamoring to keep influence and power right now because of all the methods and systems that we've trusted in. They're being challenged. Every system, every method that we have trusted in the past to to orchestrate how we live, it's being challenged at the least, and it will crumble at best, or at most, sorry. And my question to you is this, what if the times that we're in right now, what if they call us to rethink all of our methods and structures and systems and to dream with God in a different way? What if the goal is not to hold on to what we have? What if the goal is to release that 
and to grab a hold of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in the future. Listen, if your Christian duty right now is to just simply watch services online and hope it was a good experience, man, we are, we are to be pitied. That is an empty existence for us guys. And I, I want to, like, in, I'm doing a video right now for the church, right? So I, I'm, I'm living in the tension of the fact that God wants to do something past what's happening right now in front of you. But he's going to use voices to mobilize the message. And I pray that the messages going out um, all over creation today are about the fact that this is not about our church and our brand. Erase Fountain City Church. Erase our brand from the earth. Man, I pray that people never look at that and think of anything other than Jesus, but that they would find their purpose and their value and who they've been called to be in Christ. That you would do that. That you would wrestle with the fact that this is not about a church or uh, what our churches can produce or how great our worship is. You will quickly see that other churches have better preaching. Other churches have better worship. They have better apps on your phone. We don't have any of that. Many churches around here, I pray that you wrestle with this reality that it's not about any of that, but that we are a global body of Christ called to impact the world through the gospel. And now is the time where we can seize that. What if comfort and status quo faith practices have actually lulled us to sleep and caused us to settle for an inferior and even a, an alternative gospel that has no power? What if in this moment, in the midst of hardship, what if God wakes his church up to her supreme purpose? What if he wakes you up to your supreme purpose right now in the midst of this, not later? How did we get from Peter's declaration that you're a royal priesthood and a holy nation and a people belonging to God to you're a member of a church that pays tithes and attends on Sundays and serves every once in a while? How did, how did we make that leap? I think that we made it culturally just over time as we've adopted methodologies and systems that do not cling to the gospel. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong. If guys, if in two months, if everything goes back to normal, we'll gather on the weekends and we'll celebrate and praise and uh, we worship our faces off. And, and I will teach from the scriptures and allow other people to do the same thing. The goal right now is that the interior of our lives has to have a kind of sturdiness, a kind of robustness that allows us to see that our purpose goes beyond just our systems and methodologies. And so I want to leave you just with a few practical thoughts in closing. Uh, and, and I hope that you just put this stuff to work in your home and in your neighborhood and in your community right now. Uh, firstly, you're a royal priesthood. God's calling you to shepherd your, shepherd your neighborhood and your digital community and your reach of influence right now, right where you're at. You're a royal priesthood. Uh, one, one of the fallacies that comes with our methodologies and systems is that you think there is one pastor for a church or 10 pastors if you're in a larger church or 20 pastors if you're in a mega church. And somehow in the midst of this, we move away from the reality that God has called you to be a pastor and a shepherd. He's called you to shepherd people, to watch after flocks of people entrusted to you. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10 that he's a good shepherd. He's the kind of shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And this is a, a picture Right? It's, a, it's a direct picture from their culture where a shepherd would herd a flock of sheep into a, a sheep pen. But in order to protect the sheep from the enemies that are coming in, he actually lays himself in the gateway. And he says that, like, I'm the first line of defense between you and the enemy who's coming against you. And right now, with our methodologies and our structures being shaken, 
It's not about me being the pastor of people who call Fountain City Church their home. I am that. But, but I, I pray that it's about you understanding that you are now the shepherd of people who are around you in proximity physically to you. You know, this week has been like filled with opportunities for me to connect with neighbors and uh, got some beautiful neighbors I've never met. I've met so many people that are just really sweet and kind hearted and are loving each other and wanting to care for one another's needs. And in the midst of this, it would be easy for me to forget about the people who are next door to me for the sake of those who I can connect to over group me or text message. And I want to encourage you that I don't care if you're a, a nanny by trade or a full-time student or you're a nurse or you work for a nonprofit um, or you're working for some kind of developmental startup. Like, I don't know who you are and where you're at. God is calling you to understand your role as a royal priesthood. That you're a person who brings worship to God and you provide a means for other people to come to that. And so maybe the way that you begin to respond to this crisis is not just by social distancing. That's great. You need to do that. Let's, let's shut down the, the curve of disease right now. I'm all for it. But how do you reach out to your neighbors in ways that don't, um, that don't promote danger and disease? Uh, this week, one of the things I did was we just took strips of paper with an introduction of who we are as a family, with our address, all my contact information, and we just started building an emergency contact list for my entire road. One of the things that happens as we flatten power structures is we have to learn how to organically create um, localized systems of care and compassion and resource. And this happens literally in the, the sphere right around where you live. And so if you're in an apartment complex, your floor becomes really important. Like you just reaching out to people who are in the same area of you, uh, if they're in a second story apartment or whatever, how can you start to get out the word that you love people and you wanna care for them and meet their needs right where they're at? This is gonna create a catalytic conversation for the gospel to take root and germinate in. Because the gospel of Jesus always comes to us in our brokenness and despair. How can you proclaim and promote the gospel uh, to the people who are directly around you? So the first thing is you're a royal priest, okay? The second is you're a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Uh, God's calling us to be a people of holiness. You know, in this time where people are stepping out of work rhythms um, into something that is far more slow um, and uh, even scary that we can kind of just get cabin fever and get stuck in this place, a lot of people are going to deal with a lot of temptation uh, and a lot of desire to just numb out on entertainment and on stuff that is not holy, that actually separates us from God. And so what I want to remind you of right now is that you're accountable before God, that He has actually cleansed you of sin, and He is calling you to be a person of pure heart and pure spirit who is set apart to Him. Uh, and so that means what you watch on Netflix and what you entertain yourself with on TV, uh, it, it becomes very important. And so can I encourage you, fight the good fight. Resist sin and temptation with everything that you have. It's not a sin to be tempted, but what you do with that becomes really important. Um, every single one of us is going to face those internal desires and temptations to fulfill ourselves with pleasure. We put those things down like rabid dogs because the enemy of your soul wants to destroy you right now. And for those of you who feel hopeless and anxious, you are more prone to lean into temptation and sin and to actually... Uh, walk away from being set apart to God. I want to call you right now to prayer. This, this is the season where you should be praying and worshiping more than ever before. 
Where are you putting your hope in this moment? Is it just that we get a vaccine? And of course, we want a vaccine. But please tell me, please tell me that we have a greater hope than that. That even in the midst of crisis, you can be founded on something that is secure and safe and is filled with hope and promise. So you're a holy nation. You are meant to live peculiar lives in this world. You are meant to be a stronghold of hope for the people around you. What happens for those who don't know Christ around you when they see you walking hopelessly? And I, I would challenge you to dig your roots down deep into the fullness of hope that is in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, this is a time to innovate. This is not a time to cling to status quo. How can you innovate to meet the needs of your neighbors and the community around you? How can you initiate a groundswell of compassion and care and resourcing that builds strength from the ground up? What happens if for some reason this pandemic stretched for six or even 12 months in our nation? I can tell you that in a localized setting, how we treat one another and how we resource our local neighborhoods become vitally important. What if you began to expose the giftings and the talents and the unique capacity of your neighbors and you work together toward a common good to love and care for one another? It's a message of hope that people can have hope today. They don't have to wait till everything gets fixed. They don't have to wait until just until the sickness flees. I believe in healing and I believe in the power of God. But what about in the midst of sickness? Do you have hope? What about in the midst of affliction? Do you have hope? How are you using your voice to promote and advance the kingdom of God right now. Listen, uh, these times I know for many of you, you're sitting at home and for many of you, you're anxious and you're concerned and you're overwhelmed with worry. And I just want to encourage you, you are not alone. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is with you. He has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten about you. And he's equipping you in this moment and season to do all that he's called you to do. God's with you. Listen, if you need people, if you need anything, reach out, call us. We have a billion incredible uh, churches in our community and all over the world. And you're going to be able to hear a billion incredible messages. Um, I pray that it doesn't stop there for you. Allow what God's doing right now to take shape, and to take root in your heart. That he's decentralizing this power and he is flattening power structures so that you understand that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to walk in the authority of God, to carry out the will of God in the place around you. And you're a child of God. You're a son and a daughter. And uh, the gift of being a son and a daughter is that you have a father who loves to respond to you when you talk to him. And he loves to give you good gifts. So speak up. This is not a deterministic God who is scared of you asking. He's asking us to partner with him in this season. And I've got other people who can teach us much better on intercession and prayer, and I'll let them do that. Um, but I just wanted to take today and to tell you, do not be afraid. God uses perilous times to mobilize and advance his kingdom way beyond what we can ask or think or imagine. And he's going to use you to do it. And so stop right now and close your eyes and just ask, Holy Spirit, what would you have me to do? God, how do you want me to respond right now? How can I love my neighbors? How can I love my family? How can I love my community that I'm not present with? What do you want me to do? And whatever he says, do it. I love you. See you.